Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Watch Less, Complex's podcast about TV and movies, all types of pop culture. Um, I'm your boy, Cal, deputy editor, Complex's pop culture channel. As always, far away from me because we are practicing social distancing for at least a month is the homie Fraser Tharp, the summer man and senior editor of Complex's pop culture channel. Uh, yes, sir. How you doing, homie? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> No, I feel you. I feel, every every day is the same. I think it was Saturday, this past Saturday. There were like three or four different times I heard someone say, like, wait, it's Saturday? Like, what, Yeah, who, well, who even knows? I, a Saturday is just a day I don't have to sign into Slack. Big fact. Big fa- I, I only know what days of the week. I mean, this is so typical for a fucking TV and movie podcast. But I feel like the only day I know is Sunday, and that's literally because, like, I know that's the day people are going to be talking about fucking insecure in Westworld. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, but it's kind of it's kind of messed up too because, um, not to be corny, but we've been getting the Westworld screeners, facts. so I'm not even really on a calendar for that, and we're ahead on insecure, so it's almost like the timeline will like remind me, like, oh, those things are happening. But... Something's going on. Jesus, and you I about- do not miss not having to watch Westworld appointment television. I'm like it's. Every week that I don't watch Westworld, I feel bad for that inevitable <laughs> binge because I know it's it's going to be a pain. I already can feel it. I'm, I'm, we're not here for any of that this week, no. though. Um, this week, maybe we, finale talk. May, <laughs> the finale is going to be a beast. Um, this week we have a very special guest, uh, Stella McGee, the uh, director of the Photograph, which starred Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, one of the last films that I think people really gave a shit about before uh, COVID-19 fucked the entire game up. Um, we had uh, that week of, of the photograph release. We, we were busy as fuck. I think we did like what three that week, right? I think we, we definitely, I mean, just in terms of this podcast, we did a lot, but I mean, you figure that week, did we drop two episodes? Well, I mean, shout out Photograph alum. I mean, watch less alum, Photograph co-star Lil Rel. Lil, we recorded Lil Rel that week. That night, we did the screening where we did the uh, the Q&A after the screening with Lil Rel and Lakeith. Um, and I feel like there was something else that happened Photograph related that week, but whatever. Beautiful film. Um, a dope film from a director who's got, like, she's really building a, a strong catalog. I feel like... Uh, Shouts out to a uh, complex alum, Karinsa. She's the one that first put me on the Stella when uh, Gina the Joneses first came out. Oh, um, I still haven't seen that one. I've seen the weekend. The weekend it's Gina, the Joneses and the weekend. They're probably, I've not seen everything, everything yet, but they're, they feel like they're the most similar in terms of like how the lead character carries herself in a normal world. Like, and you'll hear about it when we get in the conversation with Stella, like she's, 
very uh, good at placing herself and mm-hmm. the story of her life into these films that she's writing and directing. Um, and it def- you can definitely see similarities in Gene and, uh, you know, the main character in The Weeknd. Um, right. And I mean, I mean, she says she, she, there's a little bit of her in May in the photograph, but... Uh, Right, I, I was going to say, Issa actually told us that too. Yes, um, yes, yes. And the, a couple episodes ago, she had mentioned that when we were talking about photographs. So it's it all ties in. It all ties in. Again, a, a, a beautiful film. Shouts out to New Orleans and everything that it did for that film. Uh, kind of wish it had a longer tail, because it came out what? Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day. And then you figure Con- like three weeks later, the world was over. I mean, conceivably, this could be some people's last uh, film that they saw in theaters. No, big facts. Right? Big facts. Yeah. Like, there wasn't much else popping off like that unless you really fuck with, like, The Hunt. You know what I'm saying? And um, The Hunt only had, like, days of, you know, existing in a regular world. It might not have even been a full week. I think by yep. the, the Hunt came out that Friday and then, like, that following Wednesday, the world turned upside down. Um, you also seen Stella's, Stella's work on uh, Grownish. She's directed a number of episodes of Insecure, including a very important episode of season four, which she uh, hints about. And we're not going to spoil, but uh, <laughs> you better be ready for episode five is all I'm saying. Um, yeah. And she she talks a little bit about that. She talks a little bit about working with Issa and just kind of like her process. I think it, her story is very interesting in the fact that like she's one of those people who was like a movie fan, but didn't wake up she wasn't like in school being like yo i'm trying to be a filmmaker yeah uh, those paths always interest me it's kind of similar to uh ava duvernay yes off top you know like those people who uh you know weren't thinking about it their whole lives but but are super like naturals once they pick up the camera and get into it yeah and they excel at it it's it's really dope to see again and she's just like a really fun person to talk to i i can tell the the personality and the wit in the film's it's it's a lot of that's in her. You can just feel it the way she uh, she carries herself and interacts with us in the podcast interview. Um, yeah. So, shit. Is there anything else we got to say about Stella before we get out of here? Nothing. All right. So let's Stella do the talking for herself. Yeah, we'll we'll get into the Stella interview after this quick break. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile. We like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to Watch Less. Without further ado, here's our interview with Stella McGee, director of The Photograph, The Weeknd, Gina the Joneses, and hopefully a bunch of fire shit that's coming out in the near future. Awesome. Well, Stella, thank you for visiting the Watch Less podcast. I know this uh, this this coronavirus situation's got everybody locked down, but I'm glad we can uh, hop on the horn and talk to you for a bit. Yeah, I was I was very available. <laughs> <laughs> How are you holding up? Um, I think I, I think I'm doing fine. I mean, 
you know, I, there's people who have it worse, you know, have more problems than me in this time. So I'm just holed up if I could be more productive instead of just um, checking the news and like TikTok, then <laughs> um, it would be better. So, but, um, but you know, whatever rope days. Rope, yeah. rope <laughs> I was, I was saying that last week. I don't have a good robe to chill out in the house. And I feel like I need to, uh, I, I, I never hit Amazon to see about getting a decent robe. You need a good robe to get through this time. That's a definite. <laughs> yeah. You need that. Kyle. You got to catch up to me uh, uh, this week. Yeah. T- tomorrow, tomorrow at the very latest, I'll have a fire robe ready for next week. Um, <laughs> I did see you posted up in a uh, uh, club quarantine with D nice though. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, we're, we're, all my friends, like everybody's here. Where are you? I was like, Oh my God, we're, we're going crazy. But it's not, it, it did feel like a little bit of a, you know, unity moment. Everybody was in the same digital space. Yeah. How long, how much of the, uh, that live stream did you catch? I know it was going on for like seven, eight hours. I feel like on the second day I caught more. I feel like I caught like um, maybe, you know, an hour when he was like that first day he went to like 100,000 and then the next day I tuned in for like a few hours Mm -hmm. um, and just like figured out how to project it to my TV and you know. Yeah, but I, oh, I saw hard. a lot of I saw a lot of people trying to figure that out. I've not mastered that skill of of uh I guess casting Instagram to the TV, but uh yeah, maybe yeah. offline we'll we'll need a uh, tutorial on that. Yeah, I got I got anyone hit me in my hit me on hit me on my Twitter. I'll let you know how. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it was it's good that at least that the photograph got a release before all of this madness going on. Um how are you feeling about, you know, the response to the photograph? Were you, you know, appreciative of how people were reacting to it? Yeah, I think for the most part. I mean, uh, it's like the kind of film that doesn't really come out much at the studio level. So um, I think we did all right numbers. I mean, I'm happy for when it hits home. I think people were nice. You know, the critics were pretty nice for the most part. Um Black Twitter didn't like try to snatch me up for any real reason. So I mean, I feel like I feel like you know there was a lot of love around it for the most part. Mm. Yeah, I think that the week of release, we not we not only talked to Lil Rel, but we went to we did a Q and A after one of the it was like a private screening for a lot of uh you know, I don't want to say black influence, but like a lot of the black groups that work at some of the bigger uh, media companies. And there was a lot of love for yeah. the film from what we were seeing there. Um, and I, I feel like that's what I was seeing a lot was just people being appreciative of that type of tale being on the screen. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you guys for doing that. Oh no, no problem at all. I mean, uh, Rel's one of our favorites, you know, we're fans of Lakeith, you know, we can't wait for uh it's, it was like there were so many different boxes for us that it checked. Even uh, you know, Calvin Harrison Jr. He's been a favorite of mine for a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was interesting yeah. to actually see him in that type of role where he can almost like let loose and have fun. Like I, I was so used to seeing him in like these super serious, <laughs> intense, dramatic roles. It was like, oh, Kelvin yeah. left. <laughs> I know. I literally just saw Waves and I hit him like why do you have to have my blood pressure up so much when I watch this movie? <laughs> he was dying. 
And I'm, but you know, it was funny how he came to the project because his agent just kept hitting me, and I was like, I don't, I don't think he's right. Like he just seems like such a serious actor, you know, mm-hmm. such a dramatic actor. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if that's really like my tone. And he like just meet with him, and he came in, and we literally goofed around and laughed for like an hour. Like he is the silliest person in the world. So. Um, you know, that's when I was like, oh, can you, you know, what do you think about this, you know, playing opposite Lakeith for Andy? And so it just, it just came together. But yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't, I mean, if you you follow him on Instagram, you know, he's kind of goofy and, you know, funny, but he, he tends to do these like very serious dramatic roles. Yeah, I I was going to say, doing a film like this is probably easier for him than having to get so method into, you know, dyeing his hair and, you know, going through all this wrestling training and everything. Like, I don't want to say it was like a layup, but it was definitely more calming for him. A little less dark of a space to be in. Did you have to to take some time to regroup after watching Waves? Man, I was on the plane, too. I watched it just the other day on the way to Jamaica. Like, I was on the plane... And I, I started crying towards the end. Like, I don't know. I was watching it thinking different things. But in the end, like, it kind of just hit me. You know, Sterling's performance, his performance, yeah. you know, on Taylor was so good. So, you know, overall, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty touching. Very intense. Now, you mentioned that um, the photograph is a movie that you don't always see, especially too often, coming out of the studio level um, these days. And a lot of the feedback from it was that it gave off old 90s and 2000s black rom-com vibes. But why do you think that void was created in the first place? I mean, I don't know. And it's, it was a weird space to jump into and for people to, like, compare you so closely when, you know, I don't even know if it if it needed to be compared. But just that general feeling of seeing, like, black romantic drama on the screen you know it just had been so long so it's like they had to make this like 20 year like journey of a connection but um I don't know I mean I think they're hard to sell you know I think it's just a, I think it's just a studio thing I just think you know the independent space is not that welcoming to black artists to be honest and mm-hmm. then you know the stu- and then the studio space you know, it's just easier to sell a comedy. It's just, it's like from a marketing perspective. So I just think, you know, the gambit of taking a romantic drama and trying to sell that to a broad audience is just, you know, it's just hard. You know, even in the white space, there's not a lot of romantic dramas anymore. It's something that kind of went out of fashion in like the 90s, you know, on both sides of mm-hmm. the spectrum. Yeah, there, uh, there's one coworker in particular that she's very into rom-coms and things. And she asked me every couple of months, I'm like, there's one movie coming out in a couple months, maybe that you'll dig. It's, it's just, it's, it's very strange, but I think it's awesome to go back and see. Cause I mean, you know, seeing the photograph, but then also, you know, things like the weekend and some of these other films you're doing, those tales are being told within your films. The thing that struck me most about the photograph, but then going back into everything, it's like, it's one of those films where I look at it and I'm I'm black and I like I know this film is black as fuck, but it's also like mm-hmm. not having to say this is a romantic comedy for starring and you know about black people. Um, now talking about you know there specifically being a void for you know 
black specific black rom-coms in Hollywood is that something that you're conscious of like are you going to say I'm going to make this very black film or is that just what comes out of you when you're putting pen to paper I mean I think that's just what comes out of me naturally you know in general just like I write from my experience you know like there's pieces of the weekend that are from my personal experience you know like my mom runs a bed and breakfast you know so uh. like that wor- that world and some of those characters are just people like i know you know that i've been around you watch you know gina the joneses that's mm-hmm. that's very much you know a lot of parts of me and experiences i've had so i just i'm just really you know I, the photograph is probably the most distant from my personal experience but okay I'm just writing characters that I, that I know, you know, Mm -hmm. and so, and then when it comes to putting the film together, I'm going to pick the music I like, you know, I like black music, I Mm -hmm. like black art, you know, Um, I like jazz music, like black jazz music. So I'm going to end up like, you know, putting the bow on it with all kind of the the stuff, the parts of our culture that I love. And it's going to feel like that, you know, I, I hope to other people who love that stuff as much as me. Um, and, you know, I, it's not, it's not a, it doesn't become a conscious effort unless someone's trying to like pull it apart, you know, and say mm. that they don't want you to do this, this actress or this, you know, composer, or, you know, that's when you kind of have to make the conscious effort to kind of fight to make sure it stays um, as black as I want it to be. Gotcha. Now, did you feel like you had to do some of that fighting when putting this movie together since it's like one of the bigger projects that you've done and on the studio level? Um, I mean, I would say I was I was lucky in the sense that like, um, no, no, I don't think I had to fight as much, you know, in terms of like they were very universal, it was very open to me. Um, using like Robert Glasper to score it, you know, like um, certain things, certain things you have to push. And it, it, I don't even think there's spice. I think it's just certain times like, you know, opening up people's eyes to why you want, you know, this actor or why you need this music or why, you know, um, it matters that you have this art. Like, it, I think it's more like, I think I was more in a position to just like educate when it came to like kind of, you know, the, the finishing touches of, of making it feel like I wanted it to. Yeah. I, think, I mean, I'm glad you touched on the music because that was what in watching when I first saw the screening of the photograph that the music hit me immediately, whether it was, you know, the, 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 the score or, you know, the scenes when you're in New Orleans and you really capture that sound. But I think, mm-hmm. you know, even watching the weekend, you know, you can definitely, there's, there's a vibe that's there in the script, but it's also driven a lot by, the the different musical notes and the score that's in there and i was like you know when you're sitting down to write a film like that are you how soon are you like well i need robert glasper to you know handle this score you know is that very early on or where in development does that come in um i had met it's funny like i did i did the weekend and gina the joneses with robbie botos jazz pianist so like i I like I love jazz, you know. And when I wrote uh, the photograph, I wrote the whole thing to like Herbie Hancock, mm. like watermelon. Oh, wow. Like I was very much like just on that in that album, and so 
like I knew I wanted um, I knew I wanted piano. I knew I wanted it to feel very, you know, just true jazz score that you don't really get to hear. Um, and I met I met Robert like a few years before the, I went into production on the film, like mm-hmm. two years prior, I think I met him and I was like, oh, I have this movie. And he's like, you want me to score it? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I ended up going back to him, like as we started, I think after, uh, I mean, I've had the thought, I talked with my producers about it, uh, felt, it felt, felt it out with the studio. And then I guess when I went into post, like the first week of post-production, we sat down and had like lunch at Bar PD in New York. And we just kicked, you know, we just hit it off. Uh, and, and so, and we just went from there. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, earlier, you mentioned that a film like The Weeknd, while, you know, there are elements of your life in there, uh, it's, you said it was one of the ones that was furthest from you specifically. Mm-hmm. Is is yeah. there is is there any particular character in these films, especially the films that you've written that you feel is like closest to who you are? Would it be Gene and Gene and the Joneses, or is there a little bit of you in the photograph and things like that? I mean, I, there's parts of me in in May, but not. I don't see like she's so much more polished than me in a way, and so I feel like I can be. I could be, I don't know if I can, I don't think I call myself standoffish, but I can be <laughs> at times. Mm. Um, but to be honest, I really am more, I think my friends would probably say I'm more Bashir's character in the weekend. Oh, wow. Uh, more than any of my characters, probably. Was that a, a project that might've been harder to write? I mean, cause that, that feels, that's a very, that's, I keep the, the word acerbic keeps getting thrown into uh, describing a lot yeah. of your work. I think they, they described it for the weekend, but they said it was also for, uh, you know, Gina, the Joneses. I saw, I saw that thrown around as yeah. well. Um, is it hard? Like, is it hard to put that much? Like, are you, are your relationships like that? You know, like you're always coming with that, you know, that really, really sarcastic, like almost like, I don't know if she's joking or not vibe to people. Yeah, I did just have a guy tell me he never knows when I'm joking, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which was like scary and startling. Um, I, you know, I'm not, but sometimes I'm not really trying to be funny. I think that's the problem. Like I'm Jamaican, so I mm-hmm. think when I think of my aunt talking and my grandmother, like they are literally never trying to be funny, but the, the things they say are so direct that it it's like you have to be joking to say that. Um, <laughs> me like and not behind my back mm. um, so i don't know i think um yeah i mean wait what was the top of the question i mean I, i'm just wondering you know how difficult it is for you to kind of like draw you know the those sides of your life and and put them into you know the these these scripts yeah. i don't I mean i don't know if, if things get like too personal or if you feel like you know i have to you know tone it down a little bit like I, i'm just you know that process always fascinates me right or is it so, cathartic I, in a way? That, that doesn't ever, like, I love having personal experiences to draw from. And the good thing about it being fictional, you never really have to cop to what exactly is real in it mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and what you made up. So, you know, I think the more you can pull from, like, your own experiences and, you know, things you've seen other people experience, it's just the more honest the characters feel. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Good. Oh, I was just going to ask, so with, you know, the photograph kind of being released and, and on its way to video now and 
that experience behind you, how did you recap it personally? Like if this being, you know, your biggest movie in a way, does it feel like a, like a frontier that you, that you crossed and now you're ready for bigger challenges? Um, you know, I try not to think about it that way. Like, I feel like I can be ambitious and I'm like, what's next? What's bigger? What's better? You know, like I'm always kind of, my friends laugh at me and say like, I like never kind of celebrate moments, which mm. is probably true. I'm always just kind of like, okay, what's next? Um, so, I mean, it's like the photograph is special to me. It took me a long time to get it made. Um, but, you know, I, I'm always kind of like, what am I going to do next? And I try, I try not to think about it as what is the bigger thing to do next. It's just mm-hmm. like, what do I feel like doing next? You know, what's, you know, what, what is interesting to me, whether it's going to be an independent film or another studio film or mm-hmm. some animated flick or whatever. It's just, you know, whatever is, whatever really grabs me and makes me feel like I could spend, I had a teacher that once said like, you have the things you do, you have to want to do for the next five years, you mm-hmm. know, because that's, you know, it could take that long. And it's just finding stuff that speaks to me that I feel like, you know, I'm going to be able to like hold the torch for and fight for, you know, mm. to get made, um, you know, however long it takes. So, you know, I feel like I have a wide range of things that I love and genres and, you know, it's just, you know, figuring out what, what is, what is interesting that I can do next and, and get made. Well, can, can you take take us back a little bit? Because I mean, looking at your filmography, it's interesting to see that you're you're very consistent. I think you know there was 2016, 2017, 2018, 2020. You're just dropping films, but you said that uh, the photograph took the longest to come out. Can you talk about where you got that idea initially, and you know maybe walk us through the process of going from that to you know the film coming out in February? Yeah, sure. I mean, Jean took the longest. My first film probably took about almost eight years to get made and oh, come wow. out. But, um, but you know, the photographs probably took about, I want to say, like, five, five years mm. um, from start to finish um, to come out. And, I, you know, how did it start? I had done this small romantic drama that I, I, I haven't directed yet. And... Uh, I think someone at Will Packer's company had read it, this coordinator. And uh, they, he was looking for a romantic drama. And she's like, you know, I met, you know, he, there just hadn't been many, you know, like he's made a lot of rom-coms, but there hadn't been romantic dramas. And so I came in and they were like, you know, Will really wants to do a romantic drama. We really like your script. You know, do you think you could come up with, and you know, a pitch for kind of a larger film? you know, possibly, you know, set in a, in a storm, like mm. in a hair sandy. And I was like, well, let me, let me think about it. So, you know, I went away, thought about it for a while, came back with a pitch. And this is before I made Gina the Joneses, mm-hmm. you know, I hadn't directed anything yet. I hadn't sold anything yet. Mm-hmm. And they liked the pitch, but it was just, I don't know. I think he thought he couldn't sell it to the studio and, mm. you know, it kind of just fell apart. And so I ended up, you know, going away and writing it on my own mm-hmm. uh, on spec and then ended up making Gina the Joneses after I finished that and made um, the, and, and, and then directed everything, everything. Mm-hmm. And then um, I ended up meeting with him again after that point. And I guess I kind of had enough 
enough receipts yeah. <laughs> um, that he was like, you know what, this might be the right time to go to Universal with this. Uh, and so we took the script together into Universal and they ended up buying it like a few days later. Uh, and, you know, that's to his credit because it's very hard to get, you know, the kind of money we got to make a film about some black people falling in love. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, and then I think it was about a year of development on the script, mm-hmm. um, you know, until it got greenlit. And then, you know, right before Issa came, Issa came on and then it got kind of more officially greenlit. Uh, and, and then a year later it was out. Gotcha. Awesome. Yeah, talk about walk, uh, working with with Issa because I know you directed an episode of Insecure too last season. Yeah, uh, yeah, I directed I directed season three. I directed an episode that's coming up this season too. Okay, uh, oh, nice. you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I forget which episode it is, but it's a big episode. You'll you'll clock it. Oh wow! Um, okay. Yeah, well, we. Yeah, I met her for the first time when I went in to meet with her about season three, and that was the first time we'd ever met. And I met with her in Prentice, um, and you know, she, we had a nice meeting. She offered me the episode. Uh, you know, I went in to do that episode, and you know, we just got along pretty well. Like she's, you know, very easy to be around. She's very professional um, on set. You know, she's always prepared, and. You know, we just had a good time, and and then when it was coming to figuring out May, you know, I'd worked with her, so I'd kind of gotten a feeling of what she. And our our episode was very kind of like quiet, you know, it was like a bottle episode. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd gotten to see kind of you know that side of her performance more. Uh, and so when we were looking at casting, we're like, well, what about Issa? And ended up sending it to her, and she read it. She's a very fast reader. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, and she read it, and a week later we got on the phone just to talk about it, and and then and then she came on, and then it was like, all right, let's go, and we just started, you know, casting up around her. Okay, and you're you're working on another project with her too, right? American Princess. Yeah, I don't know where that project where that project is at the moment. Yeah, because uh, it, it's it's mentioned a lot, but I think a lot of the articles are a couple years old. So it's it's yeah. it, stuff like that is always hard to tell. Um, but I mean, you know, seeing that, you know, you, you, you've you directed her in this film, there was chance for another film as well as working on, you know, episodes of Insecure. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with Issa like? You know, I know she's, you know, she's really, it seems like she has a lot of fun with a, a lot of the people that she rocks with, especially creatively. Is, is, she, <laughs> is, she, is she hitting you up during the Rona, the Rona shutdown? <laughs> during the Rona shutdown, I mean... I haven't spoken to her. No, it's so weird. I, it's, I've just been in a hole. Who knows? Um, <laughs> I know she's bored as shit uh, at home mm-hmm. via social media. Uh, but we talked a little while ago. I mm-hmm. mean, it's crazy. The movie just came out. So, you know, we were going back and forth over people's comments on the film and sending each other a few text messages over, you know, over the press. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, she's, uh, she's holed up. In, in South LA. Yeah, I mean, she's probably busy putting the uh, the finishing touches on this season as well, too. So, what was the process working with um, with Keith on the other side of things? Because a thing that's really interesting about him, and we were talking to Rel about this a little bit, is how he's like really an actor's actor in the way he kind of never almost plays the same role. So it was really interesting right. to see him 
and you know full romantic lead mode because I don't think that's a, a vibe we've seen from him very often before. I know. I feel like I like we didn't. I didn't talk to him till literally two weeks before we were supposed to shoot. Wow. Oh wow. Um, yeah, like because for a while I was just like I know his. I didn't really know his personal feelings. You know, his agent had been saying how much he loved the script. His, he has a great agent. and um, But I was just like, I don't know. Like, I can't. Is, does he want to be this guy? Like, is this just his agent pushing him? Like, I don't know. Like, um, and so some things, like, another actor had kind of fallen apart. And um, and so I was like, let me, let me talk to Lakeith. And so we got on Skype. And as soon as he started talking, I was just like, oh, I'm wild. Like, he, you know, he can do anything. And, you know, on a, as a person, he's just so kind of genuine and heartfelt and talks from, you know, his heart. And, like, you know, he's just a very cool guy. Um, and so when I was Skyping with him, I was just like, and he was telling me how he related to the character. I just, like, was like, oh, my gosh, like, he's he's Michael, like he understands Michael to a T. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ended up, me and him just flew to Louisiana because Issa was shooting down there. Mm-hmm. And we were like, no, let's just all read the words together and see, you know, if this is a fit. And as soon as they, they did the like date scene, like I had just rewritten the date scene a little bit where they talk about Kendrick and Drake. Mm. And, and so they sat down to do that scene and literally I had just written the pages and <laughs> like, you know, I was like just rewritten them. And so they sat down and just, Lakeith hadn't even seen them because he, somehow he got the wrong pages. Like someone didn't send him the updated pages casting. Hmm. And I was like, oh shoot, like, are you okay reading like new words? He's like, of course. And so we sat down and as soon as they started the scene, I was just like, oh man, like there was like literally nobody else for this. And uh, you just, he just turned, he just turned so quick. You know, you're just like, he's kind of a shy guy. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he started talking, he was just like, just became this other thing. Like he's, you know, he's a, he's an actor's actor. He can play literally anything. He is like a Daniel Day-Lewis up in this. Okay. Talk about it. Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the Drake and Kendrick conversation. That's definitely one of those things that uh, I think a lot of people related to. Is that a conversation you had in real life? Like, where, where did the basis of that come from? Uh, I feel like the funny thing is my memory is going with each year that passes. But <laughs> I, that date was based on a date I had, like, years ago. Um, and... I know we talked about music. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) This is how important this guy was. I can't remember (laughs) if we talked specifically about Drake and Kanye. I I feel like we, I don't know if we talked specifically, Mm -hmm. but we have a very good music conversation in the back booth of some Silver Lake bar and, um, and it it like kind of struck me and I ended up writing, you know, it into the film. I think, I think I riffed on the on the on the Kendrick stuff about feeling guilty. That's like more of a personal vibe. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I I'm Canadian, so I will always rock for Drake. Let's okay, be clear, uh, that, that makes sense. I, 
I know. I know. I mentioned it to Frazier after we after we both seen it because I know East is a big Drake fan too. So I didn't know if that was like yeah. something that you guys had talked about or. I, but it's it's awesome to know that that was you. That was you. That was that was me. They they ripped on. Um, what did they ad lib in that scene? They ad libbed about the Kanye pillows. Like oh, okay. Um, and that was Issa. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about a scene like that is that those are always um, tricky to pull off because you don't want to feel like you are, I guess, angling for for like contemporary relevance from the audience too hard. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very against that. Like, I feel like with the music in general, like, I like to pick music that I think will, you know, still sound good in 10 or 15, 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why I think I love jazz because I feel like it just feels so classic. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very, it's very rare. I talk about like contemporary topics in script, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that just, that just felt like the kind of conversation people will, will think about in 10 years. hundred percent. hundred percent. Um, now can you talk about how you got into filmmaking? Cause I know you, it doesn't seem like this was your chosen path. Um, growing up, I think you, I, I read that you were definitely a writer, but what was there a specific moment or like a specific uh film or something that you saw and you were like, This is what I want to do now? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've done everything. I mean, I used to work in PR, I used to rap, I used to, I used to do a lot of shit, but um. I don't know. I was working in PR at the time at Brooks Brothers Public for in-house Brooks Brothers Public Relations. I know a lot about food. Okay. Um, and I ended up. I don't know. I just started getting into independent cinema. Like I think, like I remember, like you know, I remember that was around the time of like Little Miss Sunshine and mm-hmm. Sideways, and mm-hmm. I found stuff like you know I started watching like old like Manhattan and like you know, when Harry met Sally and I was just like watching all these kind of independent um, romances. And like, I feel like Closer was around that time. Like I love Mike Nichols. Uh-huh. And I just started to feel like, you know, I was either going to go to school for screenwriting or, you know, literature, like creative writing. Um, and I ended up just being like, you know, I, I'm, I was just becoming more and more obsessed with film uh, and, and like kind of, you know, HBO type TV. And so I was just like, you know, I think this is the way I want to go. I missed all the deadlines. I was living in New York at the time, missed all the deadlines kind of for like, you, you know, for NYU and Columbia and UCLA. So I ended up applying on a, like a rolling deadline in to a bunch of schools in the UK mm-hmm. uh, and ended up getting into a master's in screenwriting at Westminster University at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and just like you know, informed my boyfriend I was moving to New York to London, <laughs> and um, that didn't go well because we lived together. <laughs> and, and, um, and then I and yeah, and I went and I went and ended up staying there for like three years, and and wrote my first film while I was you know while I was in school, and in the years after, kind of polished it up, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and then just worked really you know diligently on like. I did a lot of a lot of fellowships, a lot of readings. You know, begged a lot of people to read that script. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, ended up getting a manager and, uh, and then, you know, until I, until I figured out how to get it made. That's awesome. Now you, you, you mentioned a lot of independent cinema and I know there were a couple of tweets. There was one specific tweet that I remember of yours uh, when people were talking about the Candyman film and you wanted people to make sure they knew that, you know, Nia had done little woods, go check out little woods. Um, it's 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 interesting because you were the the one of the big headlines when everything everything came out was that that was the only wide release that was directed by a black woman that year. Um, yeah. Have you you know it's it's probably not on your head, but have you ever thought about you know why that's a situation or what Hollywood can do to uh, you know rectify that? You know do do you do you what what are your thoughts on that situation? I mean, I don't know, like, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's bad out there. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, this is a really hard, hard industry to navigate. It's, like, intrinsically sexist, you know, intrinsically anti-Black racist. Um, and, you know, it's it's just really, it's hard to get a movie made, regardless of who you are, and then to be, to add these things onto it of being, like, a Black woman, it makes it extremely hard people don't you know trust you mm-hmm. they don't trust you in the same way as when a white man walks in the door um so you know it's it's hard to get people behind you and there's a level of like you know you know business and strategy to try to surpass some of those things in your team um so for me it's hard so when i saw like kind of nia would nia being like the cost of being kind of erased from that storyline as much as I like look up to you know um, Jordan Peele it's Mm -hmm. just like you know we need to see our faces like so that these people understand like a a director can look like this like this is what a director looks like this black woman Mm -hmm. so you know and I come from a publicity background so it's important for people to see know say the names because even when everything came out there was a lot of headlines you know and you look at like you know of me having to call my agent and my publicist where they erased my name from the headline. It would oh, be wow. like director of everything, everything, you know, mm-hmm. um, says this, like even when the photograph first announcement came out, it was like the director of everything, everything. And Will Packer, I was like, if they don't put my motherfucking name in the yeah. headline, Facts. this article because people only read headlines in the first paragraph. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's I get it from a PR point of view of like you need clicks, mm-hmm. but the industry won't change unless every single facet of the industry changes. You know, of course the studios need to hire more women, but you know the the newspapers need to stop calling us only when they want a quote on why there's no women. Right. <laughs> like you know, it's, <laughs> it's too hard. It's, it's like it's yeah. very hard to get good publicity as a woman director. You know, mm-hmm. like. Ava is, you know, people, Ava's been successful at it, probably, you know, but she's an expert in it, you Mm -hmm. know, like, you know, how to deal with these people, you know, and so I always look at it from like, you know, ground floor, it's just like the financiers, the studios, but then, you know, the press has to do their thing to make these people, you know, famous to make Mm -hmm. them relevant and like known so that it's, you know, you know, more than just Christopher Nolan. Um, and then people got to go out, you know, and support. Yeah, hundred percent. Boost the yeah. signal as much as you can. Right. 
Now, does it get um, does it does it ever get hard on the other side of things where because the the pool is unfortunately so small, it feels like there's like a higher uh, burden of, of representation placed on uh, films like when you or Nia put something out. Um. Yeah, I mean, I used to say, like, I didn't feel that before. Um, the photograph, I felt that because, you know, it, a film like that hadn't been made in so long. I just was like, this can't fail, this can't flop, or, you know, they might never do it again for anybody else. Uh, so there was a level of burden in that sense. You know, I tried not to like <laughs> Google my name or the or you know, Twitter search my name yeah. or Twitter search the name of the movie because you know I can't make everybody happy. Quite frankly, you know, so um, I try to take that off, off of me. Like I try not to like worry about like representing everybody because I'm not everybody. I'm a Jamaican girl from Canada who grew up very middle class. You know, so I'm really going to end up, you know, speaking for myself. And that's not everybody's experience. 100%. Um, speaking of things that aren't everybody's experience, I don't know of too many Jamaica, Black Jamaican Canadian women who are like, I, I read you're a big Trekkie. You're a big Star Trek fan. Yeah. <laughs> is, yeah. is, is, is that what you're taking in? During the uh, during the shutdown, are you going back to old episodes of Star Trek, or what exactly are you watching right now? Absolutely, yeah. What's on the watch list? Watching, I definitely fell asleep watching Star Trek Next Generation last night because that is just soothing, soothing. Mm -hmm. Um, I did start checking out the new Picard. It's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I. You know what's weird? I feel like I'm having trouble watching new things. Mm. Like. I don't, it's like, I, I'm just been watching, re-watching things because I can't focus on new things because okay, I'm just like checking right. my phone too much or checking the news or checking mm -hmm. the web. Like, I'm just spraying down a package. Like, I just can't focus <laughs> um, on, on like new content. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've, have I watched anything new? No, I pulled up like adaptation yesterday. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know what what else have I watched? Like eight and a half, like oh, wow. brief counters. I've been going back to school a little bit. Yeah. Um, just things with like soothing sound design. <laughs> uh, that is pretty much it. I think this morning I was watching like Selling London, you know. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Real real estate shows are always really relaxing. <laughs> That could be fun. Are you getting any work done? I know you're as a writer director. Are you are you? Oh, I'm like I'm really not getting any work done. Shout out to everyone I owe something to, but <laughs> um, I, just, I don't know. Like, I'm hoping in like week. You know what I mean? Like I'm hoping tomorrow I'll start to work uh, on something. But yeah, you know, there's a lot of writing I could be getting done, which. You know, that's what I'm hoping to kind of start start get my get my mind around. Mm -hmm. What's uh, what's your now that you've you know you've got a couple of films under your bag, especially a, a number of uh, you know larger feature films. What's the support you're getting from your family like now? Because I, I believe they you know were were they not always supportive of you previously? Um, I think 
think my mom was just worried I was going to be destitute, you know, and broke and just like homeless. So I think she was concerned uh, and kind of asked me what the backup plan was a lot. Mm -hmm. That's no, that's no longer. (laughs) Okay. um, very supportive now. Um, you know, I have my aunt Jean, who my first film was named after, who's mm-hmm. my godmother, who's like always been very supportive. She's very much like the fairy godmother who just wants kids to go after their their dreams, whether they're wayward or not. Uh, and so she she was someone who helped me a lot when I first went to LA with just like paying rent. Mm, mm, I always need that. You definitely always need that. Yeah. Um, you yeah. mentioned you mentioned earlier that you have you you've got an episode of the new season of Insecure that you directed. Are you uh-huh. looking to do more TV in the future? Um, I'm very at this point not not a lot. Like if it's a show that I really love or a creator writer that I really like admire, then then yeah, like you know Donald Glover calls and sure I'll go do Atlanta. Like okay. if i really fuck with the show then yeah um i'm not really doing a a lot of television i mean i have my own show that i'm developing so i'm trying to focus on that and not not do episodic so much but but if they called you for the next season of picard you'd be in there (laughs) Uh, i don't know that i'm supposed to do picard like like, those people do it like um and I'll watch it. Gotcha. Like. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I try to stay in my lane a little bit. I feel you. I feel you. Is there any word on what your next film might be, or are we talking too far into the future? Um, no, there's no word right now. There's there's a few films that I'm looking at, uh, and uh, so hopefully, like I lock in on something, you know, that it all makes sense in the next few months, uh, but nothing like official as yet. Gotcha. Well, please, please keep us posted. We would love to hear about, uh, you know, any future film projects you have on the horizon. Mm-hmm. And I think finally, um, for people who were, you know, in your position, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, um, could you give any budding filmmakers some tips or some thoughts on like the, the, biggest lessons you've learned as you've been navigating your career so far? Yeah. I mean, I think first of all, um, you have, you have to do the, the work, like mm-hmm. the actual work, you know, for me being a writer, like to start, you know, when nobody had bought anything from me, I really did grind out like eight hours a day writing for mm-hmm. like a few years. You know, like um, I really just focused on getting, better at my craft and having multiple you know scripts going so it's like you know if you want to be a writer like you you need to write and there is a lot of people who want to be writers that don't actually sit down to to write and to get better at writing Mm -hmm. um to be willing to like rip it up and like you know start over um and then you know you just really can't ask people say it all the time like you really can't ask for permission like you really gotta zone in as a business person and figure out how am I going to get this script made you know and you know what 
what is my strategy? You know, how, how can I think out of the box to pull together this financing and pull together, you know, a group of people creatively that are going to support me? Um, and, uh, you know, it's not always somebody who's way ahead of you. You know, it is like the people around you that are trying to build to the DP that's trying to build the producer that's trying to build their career, you know, and figuring out, you know, a team that's going to ride with you through however many years it takes to make the thing um, and make it. And then, you know, you just, you need to be your biggest advocate, you know, you need to hire all the publicists and you need to, um, you know, make, you know, real relationships with people, you know, on all sides of the map, whether it's the, you know, the film programmers, the, you know, the, the journalists, the, you know, the executives, you know, you really have to have like genuine relationships with people, but you know, it starts, it starts with the work. Truer words have never been spoken. Uh, Stella, thank you for taking the time out. Really, really appreciate you, uh, you know, checking in with us. Thanks a lot, Stella. Okay, thank you guys so much. No problem. Thank you. Take care. Good luck on the writing. Thank you. We're back. Another phenomenal interview, if I do say so myself. Uh, You're always great in these situations, Frazier, and I think I'm okay as well. Um, Shouts out to Stella for taking the time out during Corona season. Um, hopefully this interview goes gold and she could bake us like a cake or a Cornish <laughs> hen or something while she's in quarantine. Moving along, the, the <laughs> when the photograph came out, there was a big conversation about it, especially with uh, black critics and black uh, viewers. And over the weekend, there was another black-centric piece of uh, television that hit that had the timeline buzzing. If you're on Twitter, you know, it's not Teddy Riley and fucking Babyface. It <laughs> is Kenya Barris's new Netflix series, Black AF, Black as Fuck. I, I refuse to to say the AF. I just, I'm just going to have to call it Black as Fuck. Like, I get it, but I just can't. I can't bring myself to pronounce it that way. Well, I don't, I'm trying, when you say that, I don't even think in like the run up to the show, if they even say the title, it's just a hashtag. That's thrown yeah. out there. So we- well, it's also kind of genius too because it's like because it, the title is a hashtag, it's almost built into trend. Oh, Ken ain't no fucking dummy, yo. He ain't no dummy at all. Do we prefer the original title though, Black Excellence? I kind of. I think Black AF or Black as Fuck lends more to a conversation, especially the one that we saw uh, when it dropped this past Friday. I personally love the idea of black excellence i think if you go all the way back to episode two of the podcast i think we even at that time it was still black excellence oh for sure we definitely refer to it as black excellence back when we talked to him at a complex con Um, yeah i mean you know not to toot our own horn but uh so he went live with um to promote the show on on opening night he went live with kid cuddy yes and they were talking about intergalactic and now you see all the black as fuck reviews and they talk about larry david and him getting inspiration from larry david and like watch less kind of broke all of that we, literally literally that was the funniest thing about like not to get too into how the sausage is made but when we're having these conversations about who we want who we could get to uh you know speak with at a function like complex con and kenya's name hit the table it, w- it was already like all right that's it that's yeah. if, if we can get kenya we could do two hours with him just because of the volume but again it's like there's so many things that he's doing that 
are touch points with how what we're into right now. And that's the one thing about Black as Fuck that I when because I started watching the screeners before. No, you started watching before me, but I got farther than you did. Yeah, you well, here's the thing. <laughs> you know how I feel about binging. Yes. So it, when we get screeners and I, I check when the live date is, mm-hmm. and if it's a good window, which this is a really great window, which you don't always get. Yeah. Like they gave us they gave these to us about a month ago. Fact. Right? Yeah. Um so if I don't have to binge and I just don't. Mm. I had so I just watched like one or two and then kept going. And then once it started to pick up steam, I just watched like a couple in succession. I my theory with that is if it's an hour long show, I'm probably not going to binge as much. This was right. 34 minutes or whatever. I I got through all five of the screeners that they sent in like, you know, whatever that window of time was after watching Coffee and Kareem. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was, again, I don't want to call, I mean, you can't call Kenya a one trick pony because he's not, he's got his hands in a lot of things. Well, that's what, um, well, so let's just get into it. Um, Get into the discourse. Friday, the show dropped. Uh, It was trending almost immediately. Early, very early. Because you got to figure it hits at what, 3am our time. Yes. And then I, and like as soon as we kind of like woke up, logged on, it was already it was already moving. Facts. Um, but some a lot of you know divisive, divisive debate about the show. A lot of it centered on Rashida Jones, which was weird. Yeah, and that didn't that didn't happen around the trailer because we posted no. the trailer and our readers were excited, at least in our comment section. There, there were com- before the trailer dropped. There was that picture of the family. Mm-hmm. And there was a discourse about that. Oh, okay. But okay. it was it's the it's the same ridiculous discourse that people are having now. But yeah. So I mean, I guess people are feeling a type of way that the show is called Black as Fuck and is promoting Black excellence, even if that's not in the title. And uh, they feel like it's like leaning towards some kind of colorism and casting a um, a light skinned wife and light skinned children, and that it's you know kind of whitewashing the black family for America. Yeah. But uh, it, that gets dicey when you realize he's just like if you have a, 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 a critique against the show you could just call it lazy and call him a one-trick pony which i would also disagree with but at least that's like a fair thing to to trot out there yes because he's really just doing like blackish and mixedish they're just promoting his own family like his Facts. wife is mixed yeah well, all those kids it, that he cast could be like dead ringers for his own kids if you uh, big facts I, there was a picture of like if you do a side by side it's crazy what I forget the daughter. What's the daughter's name on the show? The one who's his uh, making the doc. What? No, no, no. The the older one. I want to say it was Chloe. It might have been Chloe because he has a daughter named Kaylee, and they're like, I yeah, it's Chloe. They're identical in terms of like style. Yeah, like, even she, the names. Like he has he has a real son named Bronx, and on the show they have a show a kid named Brooklyn. Brooklyn, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's but it's again if you've. Blackish has had X amount of seasons at this point. If you've watched that show knowing full well that Blackish is based off of Kenya Barris's life, and now this show is re- they shot you on the piece that you did in the site, I hadn't realized that they shot in his house. Well, all right, so it's not they didn't shoot in his house because I was even I was thinking like that's insane. That I was trying to figure thing- out the life of that. You know, like he's going through a divorce right now and mm-hmm. everything. So the whole show has this weird undercurrent of like a weird sense of public 
therapy and shit. And it was like, and you're shooting in your house? What the fuck, dude? But uh, it turns out they he built a set, but it is a one-to-one recreation. Of, of his house. Still in all. So that's literally, yeah. Same point. It, it, it's, it's fashioned after his life. And when you see his, like, if you see his, the real rainbow in life, like. That's her. Her and Rashida Jones aren't that far off. But I think the other thing, too, is. Do we not know who Rashida Jones is? Like, the Jones is Quincy. Quincy. Her father is Quincy. I know there's people online, there's idiots who troll, and they don't know who Quincy Jones is. But like, Some people had me looking up Rashida's IMDb because they were arguing, like, she's only taken white passing or, or um, roles that didn't identify as black. And I was like, man, what? I don't... I don't like, I just never... It's never been a thing that called attention to itself in other roles. Here it does just because of you know who she's playing and who she's playing against and the title of the show. And I, there's there's people we work with. Not going to say no names, but I know there's some people who were turned off by the show immediately. That that wasn't I mean, me. I enjoyed the show. Yeah. What did you think of it? I think you liked it a little bit more than me. Yeah. Um, I appreciated the tone only because like. I've kind of weaned off of Blackish a little bit. Like, I'll still watch it here and there. It's mm-hmm. definitely not a, like appointment television for me. So, you know, I always appreciate, like, it's, it's basically the curb to his Seinfeld. Yeah, I, right? well, that was a thing. It's like knowing that he's not an actor. Again, we talked about this, you know, back in back in November. Knowing that he's not an actor and they took this mockumentary approach and then seeing it and seeing how, like, they've got the the deadline news articles for like announcing Netflix shows. And it's so curb esque. It's, it's a brilliant vehicle for someone who's like really getting their feet wet. Acting, especially as himself. He definitely gets, um, he definitely gets uh, more comfortable as the season progresses. So that was good. Yeah. It was, it was, it took some time getting used to it. And then again, even from interviewing and sitting down with him when we did, I keep, I'm keep harping on it. episode two of watch less. Kenya Barris, um, watching him act. You could definitely see in the first episode, it felt like he was, you know, getting acclimated with things. And, you know, so, and I think that one was also like a very like diatribe way to start yeah. things. So it, it took a little bit of getting used to, but I think once you get the rhythm of the show, yeah, I mean it's easy to pile on him as a, a non-actor, but he does he he has some great one-liners. Like he, he has the dry delivery down a little bit. It's just that that's kind of all he does. Yes, and that was my problem with the show a little bit is that you know tone is kind of all it has. Mm-hmm. Like I thought it was an easy watch. I didn't mind like being with those characters and watching them go through whatever or bicker. But um, for the most part, I just felt like it was just kind of coasting on. Oh, this is a family sitcom where they hate each other and Facts. curse at each other all the time and all this shit. You know, I just think that he could have done more with it, which is why I took that angle with the piece I wrote, like highlighting episode five as the peak, mm-hmm. because I think it just kind of shows um, more of the potential about what the show can play with that they didn't really play with that much. Well, I know, I, again, going back to why I, I when I watched episode five and I, I, I think I asked him, like, how far did you get? You're like, only watched a couple. I was like, all right, let me chill. I don't want to spoil nothing, but I'm like, yo, f- this is going to be the episode that Frazier fucks with. The episode right. where, because these, I feel like these are conversations we've had with like Damien specifically, where it's like, there's black movies and black TV shows that come out. You don't want to not show support, right? but you have to find that line between criticism and, you know, 
rooting for everybody black. Trash or nobody will tell. Do you think I'm trash? What? No. No, as a black woman, which I am, I support everything and anything you do. Hashtag support everything black. And it was weird to me that um, the one thing that didn't come up in there. So for anyone who hasn't watched yet, this is the, if you've seen the trailer, this is the episode that has like the, the Zoom call with Issa Rae. Yes. Ava DuVernay, Lena Waithe, Will Packer. Tyler uh, Perry's Tim, in it. Tyler Perry cameos, Tim Story's in there. But uh, it's a good episode, not even, like even in lieu of those cameos, just because yeah. of what it tackles. But it was weird to me that they didn't actually drop the Chris Rock um, mm. you know, famous quote about the the dentist, you know, yeah. Alpine, New Jersey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, being mediocre is almost kind of like a thing that we're fighting for in some regards too. Yeah. Well, would have been interesting. That, I mean, that is, and I mean, it would be a great conversation to have with him specifically because it, it's, I know I've always said, I, no shade, but when Crazy Rich Asians came out and people were like, th- there was so much hype and then people actually, some people saw it and they were like, that's it. That's why people were hyped for it. I'm like, look, there's not too many times where an American movie can be led by an Asian cast and be like a rom-com. That's fine. You know, everything we do doesn't have to be spectacular. You hope it is. You hope everything is spectacular, but we have to be able to get to a situation where everybody can make something mid. Right. And that's another thing too, where it's like, I almost think it would have been a cool recurring plot line. Like you don't really see him at work on this show. No. It's really just kind of like how Blackish has, you know, the the conference uh, room mm-hmm. meetings where they bounce off whatever thing he's he's going through that week. That's really just what what the work is here for this show too, just for him to bounce it off in the writers room. But yeah. I think it's almost like that you can't that episode had to carry so much because they didn't spread it out more. Yeah, it was that de- it was definitely a lot of a lot of thoughts and themes for like 30 some minutes of a, of a show. You're right. hop- you're hopping from I mean just the whole conversation about comparing shit on Rotten Tomatoes or something you just saw to the 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 conversation with the family at the cookout. But I, it seems like every time I do a project the first thing I do after the project comes out is go to Rotten Tomatoes. But let me just tell you about the tomatoes. I don't fuck with them. You don't fuck with tomatoes? I don't give a damn about a rotten or a fresh. None of that means shit to me. That's that's amazing. What about critics? I don't give a fuck. Well, the cook, and again, you know, it's a great episode, not because of its cameos and not because of the issues it's tackling too, but the writing, that's the best writing in any episode in the season. Like the cookout scene alone is so great, so relatable. I can't tell you how many times I've had like similar conversations (laughs) with family members about movies like that. So many times. Deep cover meets Juana Man. Right, of course. Hold on. Did you like Juana Man? Hell yeah. This nigga wanted so passionately to be in the NBA, they put on a wig. No, no, I, I, I understand the conceit of Juana okay. Man. I get it. So you know why that shit hard? No. When, when, when all three of the older family members are talking to Kenya and they're shitting on, I could imagine the G chat you had with family after watching like, I don't know, Parasite's the right film, but like an Uncut Gems or something like that where... Oh, my God. Un- Gems, yeah, that's cool, but did you see, you know, da-da-da-da? Like, yeah. you know, it's... it's. I've had those... Con- I try to avoid those conversations because you're Let's not... Let's go with Uncle Drew, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's real shit. That's real shit, especially for black folks who are in the TV and movies. These that, just- and uh, I'll tell you what, what triggered me almost as much, too, was uh, in the beginning 
when he and the daughter are talking about how much they hated it mm-hmm. and Rashida's character liked it. Yeah. And she's just like, I don't watch movies like you two like that, <laughs> that all the time, all over the place. And, and again, that's one of the, like, he's probably blessed to have that one child. He could actually have those conversations. Cause aside from you and maybe like two other people, it's hard to have a lot of these like real entertainment conversations. So uh, I don't Very know. Very hard. I knew you were going to, fl- I, when I watched that episode, I'm like, this is Frasier. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah. But I think there's there's stuff um, all across the season that I really dug. Uh, what I didn't like, I don't think it actually, coming away from it, I don't feel like the mockumentary format really validated itself. Or I think they leaned on it too much. Like, I don't need the test. It has, like, the reality show as testimonials and stuff. Mm-hmm. I didn't really need that, and I thought it was kind of like a crutch almost. Yeah, it was in watching things like The Office a lot. I got those vibes in watching a lot of those scenes and it's, it, it's cool there because right. of what the premise is. But at a certain point you just watch, like we could have had this show and the show just be the family interacting. Exactly. We don't need those. Way looser. I think they were holding the audience's hand a little bit with some leftover, you know, formats from blackish. Like I hated uh, her mentioning Assad and then we get footage of Assad of her explaining who Assad is. And yeah. Like, I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. I, but I mean, they also have lines like, you know, he's trying to remember the kid's birthdays and he says, one, yeah, one's a game six baby. Like, that's good. That's good. Is, is there a 36 K? Hey, when's, when's my birthday? Your birthday. <clears throat> <clears throat> Your birthday yeah. is during the NBA finals, you are a game six baby. Do you know any of your children's birthdays? Yeah, dude, I'm ridiculous. There was, I mean, just a little kid in the first episode walking around talking about mommy, I shit my diaper. I howled. I had to re, I had to put the 10 seconds back on that one. Um, yeah. no, there's a lot of funny shit. Just the fact he'll like just call his kids dickheads and shit like that. It's just real crass. Oh, I, yeah. I fuck with the show, but again, I might be coming from a place of really rocking with what Kenya's done for a while. Um, well, that, yeah, that's the other thing too. You know, a, a complaint I saw, cause I tweeted a little bit about the backlash and I read some of my mentions before it just got ridiculous. <laughs> uh, deleted, but, you know, people are saying that he makes the same shit over all the time and he's a one trick pony. Even if he, they do understand that he's representing his family. It's like, well, that's all he's doing. He got like a hundred million dollars from Netflix and he just keep making sitcoms about his family all the time. But, I mean, you know, he wrote Girls Trip. He's writing Coming to America, too. Like, he's doing a lot of other shit out here. Yeah, he's... And, and that I think we can't devalue. Shaft? I mean, he he what, he, he created fucking uh, America's Next Top Model with Tyra Banks. Like, what are we talking about here? And even the, the, the ish universe of shows, you know, Grownish is a spinoff of Blackish, but it's not this guy with his... It's that daughter experience it's more of a different world than it is a blackish clone mixish yeah. it's not really a show i got into as much i've never watched a, a single frame of mixedish i'll be i'll be honest but from what i've seen a mix mixedish it feels more like the goldbergs like it's more of a uh, or like a fresh off the boat where it's a a period piece like it's not it's not just the fact that it's this family and it's this setting but it's the time frame it's you know, it's it's these other issues that come up because of that time frame. I think it's, I don't want to say they're very different, but they all v- very much spawn from a certain thing. I But I will say the next show that Kenya has, and I know he's got a bunch of ideas. I don't know if we need like 
another iteration of this. No. Black AF season two. Do I that. don't I don't know if that even needs a documentary element, but let's get that and then expand on I mean he's what? He's got Intergalactic with Kid Cuddy. He's got a yeah. play about, you know, uh sleep. Juneteenth. Yeah, it's, it's 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 um he's also also from the episode, I'm just saying. <laughs> look, look, Kenya gave you jewels back after you listen to this episode, if you're not going back to the one with Kenya Barris episode two, you're playing yourself because he talked about all the shit before it came out. Um I don't know. Black AF gets the, the stamp of approval from me. I understand why people might have been a little bit tripping, but also, why something else? And when people are talking about relatability too. I mean, you have shows like Insecure and shit for that. Like, I think it's kind of dope. Like on Blackish, they're way more, um, I guess, solid middle class, and here, you know, they're uh, obscenely wealthy. Yeah, I but mean, even like the 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 humor about that is tongue in cheek too. Like when they say, uh, "If you're not first class, you're in the cargo hole." Like, that, you know, <laughs> just... and, and stuff like that reminds me of Larry not flying out until a day later because he couldn't get a, a first yeah, class. Yeah, like seat. it's like, supposed to be like self deprecating a little bit and taking the piss out of themselves. It, like have some fucking fun. The Relax. Sh- it li- the show literally starts. With- Although I can get why people call it a little myopic. But it myopic. It literally starts with him flexing on what's my man's name? The modern Steve fan? Levitan. Steve Levitan flexing on him with the whip, and then he can't drive the whip. Like these, it's it's jokes about wealth, but it's also jokes on the ridiculousness behind a lot of that stuff. That's the other thing I hated though. Really quick, mm-hmm. like I if if you're gonna make a show that's a satire about the real world, mm-hmm. you have to trust the audience to know who people are. Yeah, yeah. Don't give you. me an arrow. Pointing to Scooter Braun and listing off his Wikipedia, yeah, well, you know, resume like that just rubbed I, me the wrong way. Steve Levitan is not someone I know. Off, like if I saw his face, I'd be like, oh, that's the man that 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 created my yeah, family. Yeah, yeah. Or that one I I, I kind of got. But Scooter still. Braun, like everybody knows. If you're, if but even you're, even Curb had like Phil Rosenthal on a couple weeks ago. Like you, just, you know, or you don't. Yeah, that's big facts. I, I I did feel weird when they had to have the whole fucking arrow at Scooter Braun, but. But I mean, going not to go back to episode five as, as just the sole reason that you should watch the show, but the idea of Lena Waithe, you know, <laughs> participating in a joke that's really as much a joke on her as it is Kenya. Yes. Like the way she throws him under the bus. <laughs> the the look on panel. her face when like he's he's trying to get some support from her when the crowd's going and she's just kind of like, no, nah, because to you. she's raised these issues. But the shit that he's saying to the director you could have taken any of those as sentences from reviews about Queen and Slim. Facts. So there's a whole like snake eating itself circle of meta jokes going on in there. It's just yeah, amazing. A it's a lot going on. And I'm, I'm glad that the joke wasn't just the call that we saw in the trailer. Like I'm glad she actually was in the right, episode. Right, right. Cause again, stuff like that. It's some of the most curb stuff you see in the show. Which was probably, you know, arguably filmed before Queen and Slim hit. So more than likely, feelings on it would have changed, but still, it works magnificently the way it is. Big facts, big facts. Well, yeah, Black AF on Netflix. I guess watch it or don't. Uh, Stella <laughs> Stella McGee's the photograph hits digital release on April twenty eighth, and then hits DVD and Blu Ray on May twelfth. Uh, hopefully, you're ordering those via Amazon, whatever you order that stuff, because. You better stay your ass home. Um, that's it for us this week. You got anything else, Frazier? Kenny and Rashida come on the pod. Big facts. Big, we got there's some other week. One of these days, we're just gonna start tweeting out lists of people that need to, to sit in on this conversation. Um, 
again, shouts out to everybody who listened to uh, the Issa Rae episode last week. Shouts out to Joey Pants for coming through and having a dope conversation with us as well. Stella McGee, you're always welcome back on the pod. Uh, if you like this pod and want to hear more from the Watch Less squad, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. Uh, we're always tweeting and on Instagram at Complex Pop on both of those uh, social media platforms. Get in the conversation. Let us know what you're rocking with and what you're not. And don't just be an idiot. Tell us why. We want to engage. We want to have conversations. But don't you be like, no, that shit trash, B. I'm a rapper. I got music. Come, don't, we don't want to hear that shit. Um, please like. 15-year-old rapper. Give me advice. <laughs> <laughs> What's the other one that always cracks me up? I, I post fight videos on my story. Get the hell out of here. Um, please like, comment, rate, subscribe, review. Tell a friend to tell a friend. Uh, definitely signal boosts for us. We're rocking with y'all. We want to keep continuing to give you this content. Um, yeah, shouts out to y'all for who are rocking with us so far. We're, we're, we're not stopping anytime soon, but please get the word out for your boys. Uh, for Frazier, I'm Cal always advising you to wash your hands, wear a mask, stay inside and be sure to tune in and watch less. Watch less is hosted by Frazier Tharp and myself, Cal. Our producer is Taliba Newman. Associate producer and sound engineer is Jasmine Plata. Production manager, Chancel Correa. Talent booker, Anthony Allred. Junior booker, Austin Bailey. Our director of talent relations is Kristen Price Harrell. And our senior director of operations is Jen Stewart. Watch Less is a part of the Complex Podcast Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.